Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. We're so excited to have Erica Keswin with us today. Welcome, Erica. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation today. So I'd love for you just to start by just telling us a bit about yourself and about your career. Sure. So I've been in the the people space, as I would, I guess, describe it for 25 years. Um, in various roles from a consult management consultant to executive recruiter to coach, uh, you know, and kind of all of the above. And the way that I describe my work is to help companies improve performance through people, sort of through the lens of people, which can look like many, many things. And so um, about 10 years ago, I, I shifted my consulting practice and wrote my first book, Bring Your Human to Work, which came out in 2018. Um, which is about why designing a more human workplace is not only good for people, but good for business. And then I followed that with a book on rituals. And the connection between the two is that rituals really are a tool that human leaders can use um, to make real change within their, their team or organization. And then this last book, The Retention Revolution, really hits on everything that's gone on since the pandemic. Um, and so the, the, I describe it as the human workplace trilogy. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, let's start with, um, the book on rituals. Um, so I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about some of the kind of underlying messages that you're sending with that book and how you really think that incorporating rituals can help improve employee, employee morale, really. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I started looking at the science of rituals, I um, came up with this equation that I call the three P's of rituals. This is what rituals give us. The first P is rituals give us a sense of psychological safety, a sense of belonging. The second P is rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose. And when you add those two together, you get increased performance. And so that could look from a personal perspective, because many people think about rituals in their personal lives. When we connect with others or even ourselves, our oxytocin, that feel-good hormone in our bodies goes up and our stress, our cortisol actually goes down. From a team perspective, that can look like many things. Um, but what we've seen is that Productivity goes up, innovation goes up, creativity goes up, which makes sense because people feel that sense of belonging to an organization. So there's real science behind, behind rituals. And the way that I helped companies figure out what their rituals were, because many people hadn't thought about rituals at work, was that I would ask people what I now call the magic question, which is very low tech or no tech, which is, you know, when do you feel most you know, fill in the blank company ish. So I would say to the head of the former head of HR Chipotle, when do you feel, or when do you think your associates feel most Chipotle ish, Starbucks ish, kind snacks ish, you know, again, fill in the blank to anybody who's listening, you can fill in the blank. And that began a 
when people can answer that question, it's a great starting point to see and to kind of uncover what things you might be doing in your organization that are rituals, whether by name or maybe they're they're just things that we do, but we haven't really named them as rituals, but in fact, they are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's such a great, the most Chipotle-ish, right? Like it just, it just captures it. Well, what are yeah. some examples of rituals? Can you share some examples of- sure. So when I asked this question to Daniel Lubetsky, who was the founder of Kind Snacks and now the executive chairman, I said, all right, Daniel, you know, when do you feel or when do you think that new, you know, that employees feel most kind snacks-ish? And he said that one of the moments for him and them, he believes is during their onboarding and what they do, you know, they have many things that they do on someone's first day or someone's first week, but one of the company-wide rituals is every quarter, all new employees get together and you know Daniel is no longer there he's the chairman now but still participates in this and everybody comes together whether it's you know in person or virtual but he shares the the origin story of kind snacks and what he shares is that you know if that if his father had not been saved in the holocaust but for the kindness of a stranger you know Daniel wouldn't be here today and a lot of that kindness of a stranger was the impetus behind the brand and the name. And so when I when I link that back to the three Ps, again, rituals have this opportunity to connect people to purpose. And yes, they're selling granola bars. I actually think I have one right here in my office, but but it's people want to feel part of something bigger. And that that's especially this new generation, really all humans, but we hear it more related to Gen Z, that this is, and this is a real opportunity to do that. Yeah. Oh, that's a great example. Isn't it interesting when you hear some of these founding stories, it's like, oh. but a lot of times organizations don't share that or don't regularly share those yeah. founding stories. They can make such 100%. a difference. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, I'd like to also talk about the book you wrote in 2018 of Bring Your Human to Work, which is such a great title. I love that. Um, and in that book, obviously you em emphasize the human centered kind of workplace culture. So what are some things you can think about around, you know, how you would tell organizations to kind of make that shift to be more human centered? And, you know, what impact have you seen organizations have um, when they do that work, when they shift to being more human centered? Yeah. So I think my my passion around this is is really giving people a roadmap mm -hmm. and, you know, being you mentioned, you know, you're an organizational psychologist. And I come from, you know, I have an MBA with a focus on organizational behavior. So um, it's really, and what I try to share, because in my world, it was, it was always, um, oh, this is the soft stuff, you know, and maybe they said that to me or behind my back, I don't know. But to me, the hard stuff, the soft stuff's the hard stuff and the really important stuff, especially now, and especially in this age of AI. Um, and so I try to share and, and you know, give leaders a roadmap, but share the science and stories of connection at work. So I, in each chapter, um, I share the data around why this is important, sort of the ROI piece, and then give examples like the one about, you know, Kindbar. And there's many, many examples in all the books to sort of bring these ideas to life to also kind of show that that to do these things, it's not rocket science, but it really just, it takes a roadmap and it takes intentionality. 
completely. And I'm so with you on the soft stuff's the hard stuff, right? I mean, it's the most important thing. It drives me crazy how much organizations dismiss it or say, gosh, we need more objective measures or we need to be more, you know, hardcore about this. And it's like, ah, the stuff that makes the biggest difference is is this, right? What we're talking about around this quote unquote yeah. soft stuff. So frustrating. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, thank you for that. Um, So you have a term called the spaghetti work-life work blend. <laughs> I am really intrigued by the spaghetti work. I've never heard. Okay. So it's called the spaghetti project. I'm not sure about the spaghetti work-life blend, but that sounds nice. Well, spaghetti, okay. Then I'm glad you corrected me. Tell me about okay. the spaghetti project. So the spaghetti project was inspired. A lot of my work is inspired by a study out of Cornell where a professor was looking at what makes one team higher performing than another team. And um, his dad was a firefighter. So he grew up in the firehouse, hanging out with the guys in the firehouse. And what he found, the sort of short version of what he found, was that the firefighters who were the most dedicated to the ritual of the firehouse meal and sitting around a table connecting as humans um, those firefighters actually saved more lives. So there was this connection, this correlation between connection and performance. And because the stereotypical go-to meal in the firehouse is spaghetti, if you watch TV shows about firefighters, that's why I call um, my work The Spaghetti Project, which is you know, again, the science and stories of connection at work. So, um, so yeah, so I bring people together and serve them spaghetti and we connect and talk about making the workplace more human. Oh, it's so good. Is there anything that needs to happen during the spaghetti time <laughs> that actually to make that connection work? Or is it it's just not, it's just getting together and it just sort of naturally evolves. Are there, are there certain things that need to go down? You know, what I'd like to do, I mean, I think whether it's a spaghetti project or whether it's really any kind of conversation these days where people are coming together to connect, it's, it's checking in with people. I mean, one of the things that many of us saw during the pandemic was that whether it was in our nature or not, um, the walls came down you know, the proverbial walls, the Zoom screens, whatever it was, that the dogs and the kids and the spouses opening the refrigerator, the technology not working, like people were just more human. And they were asking people, you know, Laura, how are you really, really doing? And so at the heart of this connection and, you know, the, the Spaghetti Project or others, it's getting to know people as people. And I interviewed a lot of firefighters. And what I found was that, you know, if you are, um, if you are at, um, you know, if, if you are around a table and you get to know kind of what's going on in other people's lives, and then, you know, you're doing a work thing, you know, or, you know, we might not be saving lives as, as firefighters, but um, in that moment, we are you know more about the other person and you'll give them more, more grace. More grace for sure. Right. And even I could imagine more contextual, like more of a connection, anything you're talking about, right. If you know them as human beings, 
the ways that you can draw draw connections with the topic at hand or getting their input, it's just a whole different level when you know who they are and you know where they're coming from. Um, you can think about all different ways that it could just make the work and the work product better, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's so good. So love to talk a bit about you've kind of were talking about the retention piece of your work. And so your other book, Retention Revolution, I'm super curious about how some of your kind of key points around this. And obviously, during the pandemic, employee retention was such an important part of the conversation, right? And so curious about lessons learned from that and, and how you really think about this idea of um, retention in your, in, especially through your book. Yeah. So one of the things I think about retention is that there is this, you know, there's been a, the one, one of the images that comes to mind when I think about the last couple of years is a pendulum that we went from mm -hmm. great resignation to the great or not so great recession, We're kind of going back and forth. And this feeling of um, who has the proverbial power, you know, is it the employees? Is it the employers? And what I say, I mean, I was at an event the other night and with the, with the economy, the, the way it is right now, I had a lot of people almost, they didn't exactly say it like this, but I, but I swear, I know, I mean, I could tell. And they were like a little bit relieved. If the economy is bad, it's going to be easier to make people to go back to the office. And my feeling is, well, that's fine. But then the minute it opens up, um, they're going to, they're going to leave. And so the retention revolution is sort of breaking down this idea of employers and employees being on opposite sides of the bargaining table because people are going to, um, you know, people are going to, they're going to leave anyway. You know, they, they, the, the, these days are, are different and people are looking at their careers more as a portfolio. So, um, you know, it's, it's because we know that we almost need to address the, address the elephant in the room from day one. And um, just realize you may not be here forever, but while you're here with us on this quote unquote tour of duty, I'm going to help you develop, you know, up, down and sideways. Yeah. And the portfolio idea, just so radically different, right? In such a short period of time, we've really changed how we think about how long we're going to stay in any organization. My parents, my mom, you know, believe you should stay in one place your whole career. And, you know, so she was, she worked for 30 years at the same place. And then yeah, I, exactly. right? And then in my head, I've made up this really weird, like way of thinking about it, that it's 10 years. <laughs> and so yeah. I've had, you know, 10 big, big chunks of um, career, you know, different working in different places. My kids have zero, like there's no, almost no belief that they should say a certain amount of time, right? They're, they're going to be there until they're done, like, which could be six months, which yeah. could be two years, but it's not going to be 10. And it's not going to be 30. <laughs> no, for sure. And I think over time, I mean, I was an executive recruiter. There was a big red flag when, when, you know, if I saw somebody that had moved so much, but I think now it's just going to be par for the course and it's going to be less of a thing. So, and that's part of the retention revolution. If we're really intentional about how and when we onboard and connect people and make them feel engaged, at least they're productive and happy while they're there. And then when they come and say they're leaving, we all need to take a deep breath and refrain from the, you're dead to me. Don't let the door hit you because they very well might come back. Yes. 
I think that's such an important, important point. I mean, I remember that so clearly that you're dead to me idea. So many leaders yep. just oh, yeah. completely like believing that. Oh, it's just, it's, that's such going to be a, such a good change if that really, if that really can, you know, stays around because that it's pretty toxic to have that kind of negative feeling. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the power of relationships. You've you've already kind of covered that a bit in this idea of connection, but maybe tell talk more about the role of relationships in kind of that idea of employee engagement, employee satisfaction, and maybe how leaders can create more of those kinds of relationships. Yeah. You know, people ask me, what does it mean to bring your human to work? And if I have to boil it down, it's about honoring relationships and it's about honoring relationships with your boss, with your direct reports, with your colleagues, um, you know, clients, customers, and honoring that relationship with, with yourself. Um, so, you know, that really is, it's putting that at the center. And I think it goes back to this idea also of, of checking in and not being afraid. I mean, it, it hits all the parts of the employee journey because let's say that you want to check in. I mean, we know that people want to grow and develop on the job up, down, and sideways, especially Gen Z, and they're going to leave if they don't feel like they're growing. But if you really want to honor that relationship, then you might say, Laura, you know, how do you want to grow and develop, even if there may not be a role in my organization? And mm -hmm. that really, that's a leap for a lot of people. And so when we think about honoring relationships, it might be honoring them in a way that was different than the way you did it. Yeah. There's so much, I think, that leaders were asking or suggesting or recommending to leaders that they do differently that they didn't have in their career, right? That they didn't have a role model or they didn't have somebody in their experience who asked and checked in on them, right? Or asked how they were doing. Um, I have, I had a presentation I was doing and afterwards I sat next to the COO who basically, you know, said that to me. It's like, gosh, Laura, I get what you're saying, but I never had anybody who cared about my well-being. I never right. had anybody right. who even like brought well-being up to me. Um, and so it's really, it's a tricky thing, right? To, to do something very different from what you experienced or what you had, um, so yeah, I think that that's a that's a really important point. Well, this kind of idea of the like the future of work and as we think about moving forward, I'm curious about your thoughts around flexibility, remote work, and how all that might evolve, right? And how we can keep thinking about um not losing that <laughs> and um how important it is to the future of work. So what are your thoughts around kind of flexibility, remote work and as we move as we evolve? Um, so what I would say is that um, in the book, I talk about the importance of acing flexibility. It's not going away. Right. Um, I love flexibility, but it is when we think about acing flexibility, um, we have to think about it through the lens of autonomy and agency. Um, not everybody can work this flexibly in the same way, but I do believe there's a will, there's a way. Um, the second part of acing, it's A-C-E. Um, it's about designing for connection. It's about designing days in the office that are worth the commute. It's about designing time in the office that, that you know, you're not just coming in and taking the train in and then um, sitting in the corner on, on your email. 
Right. And then the last part is thinking about how do you um, think about this from the lens of equity. It doesn't all have to be um, equal, but we do want to think about it through the lens of, of equity. Right. Um, the piece that you were just saying around making it worth the commute is such a good one, right? Like that is, that to me is what's missing. And so, and if we actually had that draw, right? Like I can't wait to get in there because these great things are going to happen. You wouldn't be, like you said, you wouldn't even be thinking about how long it took. Maybe, maybe still, yeah, exactly. but not as much. Well, and one example that I write about in the book is, you know, you wouldn't think that a sales associate at Neiman Marcus could have any autonomy over his or her schedule. And what I found was that during the pandemic, when all the stores shut down, everybody was like, we were rethinking ways to work. And if you're a sales associate, you know, you can't work from home four days a week, but you can work from home a couple hours a week when you put new fashions on your Instagram, where you um, email or text with 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 a customer or a client where you're planning outfits for for the Grammys or whatever it is. And even just that little bit of agency or autonomy or saying, wow, I could drop my daughter off at school on Tuesday, like a little goes a long way. So I really do just urge, urge people, um, you know, to, to think about, to think about this. Yeah. I, I am so with you. It goes, it, that ability to make your own choices in kind of where you are or what you're focusing on. And then you have such a better sense of ownership, right? Of, around all of your work. And obviously that's related to feeling that emotional connection to your work. So I love, I love all of your, um, your acronyms and your easy ways to remember these things. It's very, I mean, I think it makes it very compelling and, and very, it makes it feel like you can do it. Right. And yeah. as you were saying before, that's part of the biggest, that's a big obstacle for most organizations that they just feel overwhelmed by it, like that it feels so hard and there's nothing they can do about it. So I really appreciate the way you have these acronyms and make the stories really clear so people can remember spaghetti, right? The spaghetti project can remember. Right. That. I mean, that's really when, when I, what I boil it all down to for me, I really try to give leaders a roadmap. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So good. Well, Maybe just for our last question together, our last um, question I pose to you is, can you just share some very kind of actionable advice or key takeaways um, for the people who are listening and, you know, maybe some steps that they can take to, to do some of the, the most important things that you've focused on today? Yeah. So, you know, it's really starting. I mean, the, the beginning of the process is really understanding the organization's values and, and thinking about the values around and across the employee journey. How can you bring these values to life during your onboarding? How do we think about meetings and where do our values, do we give people sort of the rules of the road as it relates to how, when, and where we meet? And really just going, I mean, I like to use the employee experience journey as, as my map and then think about each piece of this through the lens of, are we living the values? And, and if we're not, what can we do to change it? And the litmus test that I often use is I call it the fork in the road test. You're at the fork in the road. Do you hire this person, fire this person, do a deal? Um, you know, any question that you're thinking about at work and your values should really help drive that decision. 
Mm. And if they're not, you might have too many values. So people don't even remember what they are or possibly they're the wrong ones. And so it's really, that's sort of going back to, to the beginning, because I feel like when you have functioning values within an organization, this is so cheesy, but they, they need to come off the walls. They can't just sit, you know, on, on a plaque you know, on the hall, down the hall. And that's what people want today. They want these values to come to life. It's why they join a company. It's why they stay at a company. And the way to think about it in terms of a roadmap is what does that look like? Whether you're thinking about professional development, how you train your managers, how you approach meetings, onboarding, offboarding, really every piece of this. Perfect. That's so good. Well, Erica, it's been so great talking with you today. So grateful for your time and sharing all these really great ideas with us. Thank you so much. You are welcome. It was so nice to meet you. You too. Thanks, Erica. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.